0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time bestselling author, transformation coach, and I am here each week to give you actionable tips to help you overcome the challenges that you face in order to find more freedom and joy and peace in your life. So whether you're learning to overcome scarcity mindset and create financial freedom overcoming self-sabotage once and for all, and improving your romantic relationships, A Sharper Life touches on all the topics that we deal with as adults. And yes, these are all episodes I've done. So be sure to check out the full library. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to give it a five-star review as it helps the show grow and lets others know about the incredible topics that we go over in order to improve your life. Now, today is an incredibly juicy interview with none other than Stefanos Sifandos. And I hope that I'm saying his last name correctly, who is a trained educator and relationship expert with a background in behavioral science with over 20 years of direct experience in the personal transformation space. He is incredibly passionate about leading people closer to their highest potential by helping men and women escape negative patterns and cultivate a positive sense of self, as well as restructuring and reframing their relationships with themselves and their loved ones. So this interview is powerful in so many ways. We talk about masculine and feminine energy, loss of polarity. We go into all the self-development work, where to start, Things like how do you understand if you even have trauma in the body? We talk about the pandemic and how there was so much trauma stored in our bodies and what you can do about it. And trust me, we go down a lot of rabbit holes that you're going to want to listen to. This has been one of my favorite interviews to date. So be sure to listen all the way to the end because he is giving you actionable tips to the very last second. And without further ado... Here's Stefanos on A Sharper Life. Welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to have you here. And what I'd like to do is just jump straight in. So my first question for you is that without going into your backstory too in-depth, which feel free to share as much as you want, but I noticed that you know you share a lot in other interviews and you have such a beautiful explanation on your website, But there was something that I wanted to talk about that I read from from your About Me on your website, which was, quote, I carried such unprocessed anger and trauma from my childhood that I projected it onto others. So I want to talk about this because we are seeing it left, right, and center in the sense that people are triggered we want to erase history based on our current beliefs cancel culture is more prevalent than ever and how can we as a society and as individuals deal with our own trauma and anger and i guess more importantly how can we even identify if we have trauma
1: yeah the, the first part the first response to your question is in safe spaces we deal with it in safe spaces in non-judgmental compassionate spaces in in spaces where people are going to lovingly call us forward and challenge the dogma that we hold within us the you know the emotional dogma the intellectual dogma the rigidity that um, doesn't want to budge because it feels safe in what's familiar Uh, safe spaces is really the key to healing or wholeness um, or both one in the same at some level and that's going to empower each and every one of us to be responsible for, quote unquote, our own work, right? Um, And our own ability to uh, look within as opposed to looking without because that's more convenient. It's it's very inconvenient and very uncomfortable to look at our own stuff. The ego doesn't like that. Um, It's very threatening. We feel threatened. So then we carry that hypervigilance everywhere we go and we project. And what I did a lot of was not trust people, be very abrasive, impatient, intolerant, um, just aggressive in my demeanor, in my tone, um, saw people as unsafe, witnessed them or believed to witness them as a threat and therefore I had to be defensive and I would have to attack. And I just never felt safe in my body because I really hadn't dealt with so much of the unprocessed stuff, experiences, trauma, interpretations of those experiences that I had moved through in life. And so when we take responsibility for that and we look at the, we look in the mirror, into the mirror and we not only own who we are, all of ourselves, but we love those undesirable parts. That's when deeper healing begins. And that's when we stop, um, you know, passing the baton of, uh, you know, of trauma to others as well.
0: Amazing, I mean, what a profound answer! And so I'm, I'm curious to then dive into because you have been doing this work for I think 15, if not longer, years. And you, your story is so incredibly inspirational. In that it's easy to look at someone like you or I, and I'm sure you get this a lot, being like, "Oh, you know, what trauma did you go through?" And you look great, you look perfect, your relationship looks amazing. And so, where do you think people can begin? to identify and I guess even process like where there is stored trauma in the body. How do we help envelop that or develop that from, from ourselves, I guess, to a point of you've done the work, I'm doing the work, we're teaching the work. And how do we get the society as a place now to look within, right? If the ego doesn't like it and we don't want to face our own trauma and many people I know don't even think that they have any sort of trauma. So what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, we we can't force others to walk a path that either we want them to walk or we want to walk ourselves or that we have walked, right? And, you know, identifying, you asked a question earlier around, you know, how do we even, and you, you've somewhat touched on it again, how, how do we even identify that we have trauma, right? And so if there's consistent dissonance in our lives, if we're consistently experiencing heartache, uh, disharmony in our lives, if we're wanting something, but it's never really coming and there's this hardship, it's beyond challenge, but there's this difficulty that we're constantly facing, there are familiar or um, repetitive patterns of relating that keep showing up. So we're dating, we're in relationship and the same problems just keep coming up with different people. We're the common denominator. That is one way to recognize that we are in a trauma loop or that we are living from unspoken, unconscious, unresolved wounding and or trauma. And that that's a, that's a really effective way to notice. The issue is though getting to that point it can be very difficult because most of us need to hit rock bottom. And extreme versions of rock bottom to really awaken or wake up to the fact that the life that we're living isn't the life that we truly desire. So I'll come back to all the life that we truly deserve. So I'll come back to that question around, you know, what's happening in the world, and that's a very big undertaking. It's a very big undertaking to shift the consciousness of essentially and effectively eight billion people. Um, that's a massive undertaking, and there's two parts to that. The first part is. That's a trick that the ego plays. So it gives us this massive task to focus on that deters us from focusing within, right? The the second part to that is that no matter how much we change what's happening outside of us, if our internalized perception of the world and ourselves, our self-worth, our self-awareness, our self-realization, if all of that doesn't shift, then everything outside of us is simply going to be a reflection of that internal state. And so... It's not an easy path. Um, There isn't um, an entitlement or a hierarchy or a better than attitude that comes from walking this path. But there is a clarity that comes from walking a path of deeper self-exploration. And that clarity can also be painful because we start to realize that previous environments that we've been immersed in, including friendships and relationships, no longer serve us. And leaving those groups of people, which is effectively our in-group, surely feels like death. It feels like annihilation. It feels like we're being kicked out or we're leaving our safe haven. And that, our nervous system equates to death. And we don't want to die because we want to self-preserve. It's a prime function of our brain. And there, there, therefore, there's this internal tug of war that takes place. But when we choose ourselves in that way, with great difficulty for most of the part, something sh- um, shifts and switches within us. And when it shifts and switches within us, we start to live a very different life. And we start to gain this, this elevated view of ourselves as opposed to being stuck in the, in the, in the forest, not knowing it's a forest because all we can see is trees. And then by elevating ourselves outside of that, we're seeing what was not working for us. And that's where we can then delve even deeper into our own journey and our own path.
0: Wow, I mean, you touched on so many incredible things there, and I, I really want to just acknowledge what you're saying on that. That it's when things feel like there's turmoil, and you know, the lessons keep coming up. Because that was actually a question that you already touched on: is how do we know when there's trauma? And it's like the lessons keep coming. So, do you believe that once we do this inner work, that those quote-unquote lessons, or let's say, you know, someone's like constantly in a toxic relationship and calling that in, that we start to heal that once we heal ourselves?
1: Yes. Yes. And, um, it's, it's not, <clears throat> what, what will happen is that that unhealthy relationship dynamic that we're in may dissipate. It may completely shift and may evolve. Um, it may, it may leave us, but then we attract another one again, not to test us per se, although that's part of it, but it's, it's really just our nervous system reorientating itself towards what's new, but also being attached to what's familiar. And so the, the chances are that the more clarity you create within yourself, the more self-awareness exploration you engage in, the choices you make are more genuine to what you truly desire, as opposed to being on repeat and habitual from past conditioning and past patterns that just no longer serve.
0: Amazing. So you just touched on the nervous system and this is something majority of people don't know about. And I don't know why it's not taught in schools of the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest. And could you touch on really just that and and go further with the nervous system and how trauma gets stored in our bodies and ways because i've also participated in some of the various things that you teach you and christine but i'd love to know for everyone listening like what does this mean that we're storing things and the traumas in our nervous system
1: yeah so when we when we have an experience that's intense we we store it in our psychology but we also store it in our biology at a cellular level where we're we're marking that event or that experience or those sets of experiences as something to pay attention to. And what often happens is we as animals, mammals, um, we don't don't do what other animals do, which is – I'll give you an example. So if an antelope is being chased by a a cheetah or a leopard – And that antelope gets away. It just had a massive hormonal dump, right? We'll we'll call it adrenaline and cortisol. And it will find a quiet spot and it will shake it off. It will literally physically shake and remove that, not remove, but redirect, reprocess physiologically and close the trauma loop, get up, and it's done with that experience. It's done. So it's... It's really shaken off the hormonal dump. Now, adrenaline, cortisol aren't—they're not evil. What happens in our society, though, is that we use other mechanisms and techniques and coping strategies to deal with intense experiences. And one of those is, you know, suppression, and or two of those are suppression and repression. And so we consciously and unconsciously stuff down these experiences and attempt to forget them in order not to face them but they're still stored in the memory banks of our biology. And that imprint is still informing the decisions we make, the things that we think, the way that we feel. We essentially become more hypervigilant. And then like anything, you know, like the opposite is, you know, you, 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 you don't use it, you lose it, right? But you keep using it, it creates deeper grooves in your body and it becomes more of a habit that's easily accessible becomes more of a pattern of coping that's easily accessible. And so we've never really processed all the micro and macro trauma that we've experienced growing up during our formative years particularly as we're navigating the world around us which can be very confusing and then even as adults we we get sometimes stuck in this freeze sensation or freeze pattern internally and all that does is lock that trauma in and so we need to engage in somatic Healing and breath sound and movement are examples of that, deliberately done to shift that stuck energy that has us in hypervigilance, that has us choosing partners that aren't for us, that remind us of a perpetrator or someone that hurt us. And one of the reasons that we do that is because our psychology wants to have a redo. It wants to have a redo in the quote unquote right way to be able to protect self or be a stand for self or release energy. But we don't know that consciously. So we keep attracting very similar situations that keep perpetuating old wounds that we can't actually change. And so we're reinforcing them instead of able to, being able to actually change them. You can see how that's problematic. And this is why it's so important that when we're working through stuff, we're in a support network and we're not doing it completely alone because we need again other people to reflect to us what we cannot see ourselves.
0: Yes, it's something that I call the spiritual mirror and you you touched on that too of you know the the mirror of what we're doing that we can't see what we can't see and we need either someone else an expert like yourself or someone like me or a support network to help us see those things without ego and and make a change. So Question on that, then, you know, COVID and the pandemic clearly caused a ridiculous amount of trauma for everyone because here we're being told, stay home, don't do this, don't, you know, don't go outside, <laughs> stay away from your neighbors. And so much continued trauma on top of already, you know, busyness and things like that. And then now that we're out of the pandemic or, or so, so to speak, it's like we've rushed back into the go, go, go. And it feels like people are making up for lost time. So there's clearly a lot of trauma going on consciously, subconsciously. What would you have liked to have happened, either the government or people you know, doing it on themselves during the pandemic? And what can they do now to release that tension and that stress and stop the numbing and distracting and the drinking and binging and all of those?
1: What I would have liked to have seen was a pause. Um, from my perspective, there was an overreaction in terms of how global government—and that's a that's a sweeping blanket statement, broad brushstrokes statement around global government. We don't necessarily have a global government per se, um, but how many different governments around the world and you know institutions of leadership, whether it's in the private sector or the public sector, how they reacted and I do say the word, I use the word react very deliberately, how they reacted um, out of fear, out of agenda, out of conditioning, out of a number of different elements, which I'm not completely sure, I'm not privileged to have that inf- access to that information directly through my five senses per se, um, I think was an overreaction. As a result of that, it caused a lot of panic. Um, policy, uh, rules, regulations were formed um, you know, aspects of constitutions broken. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, just a few. Just a few, yeah. There was um, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. People lost their livelihood, um, their livelihoods. Uh, economic dis- disparity led to poverty, homelessness, depression, suicide, um, breakups. Now, do I blame COVID? No, I don't blame COVID. I, 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 it's not about blame. I look to... What's responsible for that was our overall reaction and response and the isolation that we created. You know, in times of despair, and I get everything's context, context, right? Like in times of despair, we've got to come together. But in this case, you know, information was that you, you can't come together because you're spreading a disease that's going to, or you're spreading a virus that is going to kill everyone and kill you. So therefore be by yourself. And so, for some people, that was fine. Like it was for me, it was it was well. I never stopped being by myself, and I didn't, for lack of a better term, I didn't buy into the bullshit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not that I didn't believe COVID as a virus existed. It's not that I didn't believe that I had COVID twice. Um, and the first time was fucking horrific. It was like psychological warfare. Uh, it was really tough. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really tough. Um, and I've I've had some serious viruses in my life. I've I had a virus when I was a child that ate into my bones. I was like eight or eight or nine years old, and I couldn't walk, and I was hospitalized for a month. It was immense pain. So I'm not I'm not a stranger to viruses. I'm not. I don't. I don't think that. I mean, I, I don't share that often. But yeah, that, I didn't think that. It's, oh, this thing is a fallacy and it doesn't exist. I experienced something that was very unpleasant. It was more than a flu. Right. Um, and the second time I got it, I was slightly unwell for maybe 36 hours, maybe 48, and then I was back doing what I do so everyone's experience is different right and uh, my mother was really sick actually she was hospitalized so but she's also very unhealthy so what I would have liked to see the government do is more education around um, building immune system health and and building health it was an opportunity for us to come back to health in, in various ways what we can do as individuals now in recovery from that but also in response to to events that happen very similar to that, and they will in the future. I think, if anything, what we've seen is that mm, governments don't really give a fuck, and they're (laughs) going to do what they want to do, and it's the same as somewhat certain private corporations as well. So as individuals, we have to be more sovereign. Now, this is a very big conversation, right? So there's two ways. I'll I'll do my best to simplify it. There's, There's macro and micro. At a macro level, we're looking at how we interact with the system, and determining what level of interaction we want with the system, right? So cryptocurrency, as an example, is a, is a disruptor. It's a technological disruptor that's going to, is, not going to, is already changing the landscape of how we do business and how we communicate, um, including other emerging technologies such as blockchain tech, um, AI, VR, um, AR, um, uh dows you know there's there's so much that's happening in the world today right that's more let's call it more of a, a macro micro is as individuals what level of inner work are we doing on ourselves you know what level of responsibility are we taking for who we are and how we want to show up what what clutter are we clearing from our past and our past relationships that, that can inform less our present moment so we can be less reactive, more thoughtful, and more present and calm, more in our bodies, not just in our prefrontal cortex, but more in our bodies so that we can actually analyze, think through, and reason from a more grounded, safe, internalized place and not panic. Now, there are also issues with that because it's very convenient for me to say that, you know, I have a roof over my head, I have food, I... Um, I'm not in unhealthy debt. You know, I'm, I'm in a quote-unquote privileged position, right, um, where I have that economic wealth and I have access to resources where I can think about these grander concepts and spend time in these spaces. There are many people in the world, let's face it, at least 2.5 billion people in poverty, that don't have the the capacity and the time and the internal and external resources to be thinking about these bigger issues. So I think from that place alone, it's our responsibility for those that have access to that to go a little deeper, not to do the work for other people, but to to really be grateful. Like that's another big thing as well as like can we practice gratitude for where we're at? If we, especially if we have the capacity to do that, because that there that that shifts our physiology. That that legitimately, literally shifts our physiology. And it orientates us towards what's possible, as to as as opposed to what's not possible. So I think they're they're important places to start. But it's a very big. I mean, the que- It's a great question. But it's a very big question. What you're asking. Yeah. To me, it is anyway.
0: It, I mean, it is, and we could go hours on that topic because I'm mm. in agreement on all of it. I guess more so that it kind of ties into another question that I have, which is. You know, there are so many different modalities of healing, of places to start, what to do. And when we look at the self-development world, even it can, or like self-help, spiritual community, psychology community. A lot of it can come across as woo-woo and overwhelming. And mm. a lot of times people are like, I I just like I think I have trauma. I don't, you know, I have like stress, my shoulders hurt, or I keep attracting these toxic relationships, or I can't lose the weight, you know, XYZ, XYZ. And so just like naming a few of these, like we have the masculine, the feminine, now you're hearing like the toxic, and we'll get into this, but like the toxic masculine feminine, the divine, the inner child, the mother wound, healing the father wound, ego death, like somatic body work. There's so many amazing, right? Amazing tools and practicalities, but it, I can also see it can become really overwhelming. So people that are going through trauma right now, and we have like this big list, and that was a short list, but like this big list of I don't, just things that we can practice and learn and go into. Where would you start with someone?
1: Mm, it depends where they are on their journey as well, right? I just want to come back to something too because I think this is an interesting point, and, and I'll, I'm going to loop it back into what you just shared now too. We've got to meet people where we're at. And we have to meet ourselves where we're at. We we if we go, if we meet ourselves less than, then we're going to be uninspired. And if we go, if we aim too high, so to speak, and, and we go too deep, too much, too soon, too fast, right? Which is trauma. Essentially, if we try to heal the same way, we're going to be deterred again. When this, when this thing unraveled a couple of years ago with COVID, I got very fucking angry, very, very angry. I was, I mean, I have, you know, being aggressive is a, is, a, is a tendency of mine because of my upbringing and because I'm, I mean, I'm still working through a lot of that. Well, no, I shouldn't say a lot of it, just some of it. I've come a very long way with my relationship to anger and rage and so forth. But when this first came out, I was just livid because freedom is my biggest wound and my biggest value. And I felt so constricted and you know, people tell me to wear masks and wear gloves when you go, oh, fuck you. I'm not any of that <laughs> shit. I, if I get sick, I fucking get sick. If, right. if your gloves work and your mask work, then you're protected. You're fine. Right. Like you don't, it's not, I'm not, you know, there's so, <laughs> this is such a rabbit hole, but I got really, really angry. And, and, I, and I love a noticed, good rabbit hole, by the way. <laughs> yeah. What, what I noticed was that that anger, it was serving me up to a point, but then there was a real point of diminishing returns where I was living with that anger way too much, and and I and I either could explore that or allow it to leak out onto everything and everyone, everyone I made contact with, and everything that I did, and I just didn't want to do that anymore. And so when I come when I come back to your your question now around you know what what are some of the practices that we can engage in, what I really lent into back then. Um, and, and granted I'd, I'd, you know, I've, I've been officially, I guess, in the personal transformation space for 22 years, teaching, um, as well, not just, in you know, it, learning, but teaching, teaching and learning at the level where I was, at the, I would meet myself and meet others. Right. And obviously over, over two decades, I've advanced myself, but I had to meet myself where I was at and where I was at was in my body. Um, I had. I had to move this energy. I had to move and 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 not project it on others. So I really lent into somatic work. I really lent into breath work. Um, I really, I really lent into trauma release exercises and emotional and emotional release techniques as well. And and really went into that and explored like what's going on for me. What's really really happening here? It's not about a virus. It's not about government oppression it's my relationship to all these things because i also started thinking about what about victor frankl what would he do you know in man's search for meaning i remember that was a very impactful book for me when i read it many years ago because i, I almost couldn't understand how he would be in this this prison cell and and arrive at a conclusion of if this is for those of you that haven't read the book or um he was in nazi concentration camp and he's a psychologist slash psychiatrist i'm pretty sure And he survived, by the way, survived the Holocaust. But he got to himself to a point where he was seeing people die around him, left, right, center. And he basically just said, well, they can take my physical body, but they can't take my mind. They can't take who I am here. And the way he shares his story was no matter what was happening around him, if he was being beaten, surrounded by famine and death and illness and murder and everything, all the atrocities, he was calm inside. And I thought to myself, I get he's an outlier. I get that. But he's also a demonstration of what's possible in the human condition. Yes. And I'm thinking, well, if he can do it, I'm human. Why, why can't I do it? Why can't I be that person? Why why can't I? And it's not about resignation. It's not about bending over or, or laying down and saying, hurt me, kill me, do whatever you want to me, government or whatever it is. It's not that. It's more, this is the world I'm choosing to live in. How do I navigate it while staying true to myself but also not damaging myself in the process because I also understand that this, this immense, intense anger and rage that I'm feeling inside, whether I let it out or not, it's breaking me down at a cellular level intensely. Longevity-wise, I'm going down. So I'm the one that's coping with that. I'm the one that's living with that stress. So how do I shift that? So there's some of the things that I did. And so I think you know, turning inwards and leaning into
0: somatic work, um and can you just the, and really yeah. sorry to interrupt, but just you know, some people they're gonna hear that word somatic and be like, uh, what the fuck is that? So mm. but let's get back, I guess, to it because you and I are like, yeah, we could like lingo and all this all day, but like what is somatic body work and what's the practices of it?
1: Yeah, breath sound movement, right? So that's essentially what it is. So for example, you're feeling a big feeling. What are you feeling? I'm feeling angry. Okay. Where are you feeling it in your body? Locator. Start playing with it. Give it shape. Give it contrast. Give it texture. Give it context. Uh, describe it. Visualize it. Feel it. What does it need? What is it telling you? Well, I need to beat my chest. Cool. Beat your chest. <laughs> I need to scream. Cool. Scream. I need to go for a run. Great. Go for a run. There's an there's this, there's this this dance of connecting to your intuition. And maybe you don't. It's not even. It's not even an intuition. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just so fucking angry, and you start squeezing your fist. Great. Squeeze your fist. The do, do the thing that your body wants to do. There's some, Somatics just means body, right? Essentially, it's body. So get into your body. Get into your body to get out of your body in the ways you don't want to be in your body. So sometimes we'll breathe a particular way. Like every every month I have a, a breath work for the feminine event, a live immersive experience that is physically live and virtual as well, right? And we, we there's different themes every month, but essentially we're going into the body and really supporting women connect to themselves and release what is hindering them and sometimes you're in a conversation and someone has said something hurtful it's not socially appropriate to respond back in the way that you'd like to so we store that We, we, we we our body captures that and it locks us in but really what we wanted to do was say fuck you but we couldn't or we didn't right whatever and so how do we release that in really safe spaces that's part of somatic work vocalization screaming breathing in very particular ways to access unconscious aspects of ourselves that we cannot access in familiar states of consciousness that's what one of the 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 things that plant medicine does it serves us in that way breath work for me is can be just as equally as intense and i really say that very openly and it's a lot safer for various reasons You, you you carry a greater degree of control now that's not to say that That's a great thing. It may be great for where you are in your your life, but some people need to actually really lose control. So they need something like plant medicine as an example, like ayahuasca as an example. Um, And again, that's another rabbit hole, but (laughs) but that's essentially somatic work, right? So it's really just listening to your body and giving it um, an avenue to release and move and express and expel in safe ways, in very deliberate, safe ways. And that creates great harmony, amazing
0: harmony in your body. Mm, I wish we had time to go down all the rabbit holes. I have to <laughs> say, and all the conspiracy theories, and I'm like, I am hundred out of hundred percent right on all of them, even though I was labeled the conspiracy. I'm like, yeah, well, I was right. Comes turns out. So switching gears, and I actually want to say that I I had listened to Christine, your lovely wife, her mm-hmm. podcast for a while, and then during COVID is actually when. You guys, I think did your first ever virtual event. And I was at a place, had just broken up with my like on and off long-term boyfriend, tr- like just traumatic and sad. And normally I'd be like, mm. okay, cool. Where am I gonna go? Because I have friends all over the world. And oh, it's COVID. You can't see people, you can't, you know, nobody wants to welcome you. And literally all the flights are, you know, closed. So I went back to my my parents' house and for three weeks, and boy, was that. Fucking fun, <laughs> but in the process and literally day one that I got back there, I was like, and it was on my birthday too, two years ago, I think two, three, who knows? And I I did the inner child healing workshop, mm. and I'm like, hey mom, so I'm back, I haven't seen you. There's COVID, it's my birthday, and I'm gonna go do this three day workshop. Bye. Which of course like triggers her, but it was it was actually so incredibly healing and profound. And I had done that work, but it was so fucking needed during that time. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. But I want to actually dive into a little less rabbit hole and and a little more concrete. Uh, Well, I don't know if it's concrete per se, but talking about the importance of polarity and masculine feminine energy. And then not only that, but I guess really like what are the rites of passage and how do you know if you're like in your divine or how do you know if you're in your toxic or wounded and how do we move through?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm going to, I'm going to revert back to what I said earlier around recognizing patterns and recognizing, you know, if we're the common denominator in our lives and we're showing up to different relationships and the same issues are occurring, I have no problem, by the way, of using the term toxic. I think it's in our society, it's been overused and misconstrued as well. And it's associated very strongly with men and masculinity. And those two are uh, connected and separate as well, from, from my perspective. Um, but I have no problem using the term toxic. Um, but as long as I'm going to just explain, for me, when I use the term toxic, I'm not referring to, toxic, to men are being all men are toxic or all masculinity is toxic. I'm referring to an unhealthy, unsustainable pattern and way of being that is destructive um, beyond a healthy measure. Because destruction is actually necessary. Death is actually necessary. I tell my clients often, go and die. And I don't mean physically die and kill yourself. I mean, die to the old version of self that no yeah. longer serves you. The ego, ego death, death, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So so these toxic patterns that keep playing out are, are really playing out for us to have a redo, for us to see ourselves in a new light and to ultimately actually regain our power back and empower ourselves. I'll give you an example. So let's say, uh, is your is your audience largely women or men or a good healthy it, balance? Largely
0: women, but definitely yeah. quite a few men tuning in and, and watching. Great.
1: Well, I'll just use an example of a woman then. So let's just say a woman, um, you know, a, a young girl grows up and she grows up and uh, with a very distant emotionally and physically unavailable father. Maybe parents split up, maybe they don't. Um, But he's just very, very unavailable. He's also very harsh and rigid and has very high expectations of himself and of his family and of his children as a result of that. That woman may grow up not feeling enough and not feeling that she got healthy attention from a primary caregiver that she really yearned to be held by and 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 um directed by and guided by. As a result of that, what, what that woman may do is compensate, and, and one way that she may compensate is through um a hypersexualization of self. Right, and so now she's not good enough. She's unworthy. She's in constant comparison to other women and competition with other women. She's consistently um, enhancing herself to please others and doing things that she doesn't really want to do, but wants that love, wants that care, wants that affection. Doesn't really know why she's doing it and that she's doing it, so so to speak. But feels an emptiness inside. I would assume, and this is just based on my personal experience working with so many women, that that could be very true for at least some women that are listening to this right now, if not a a very firm handful, so to speak. And so what's really happening there is this pursuit of, I want dad's love. I want my father's attention. And I'm seeking that in other familiar places that remind me of my father. AKA other men, right? Our our biggest relationship, our most important relationships are those to our primary caregivers. And our intimate romantic sexual partnerships are replications of those. And they become eventually our most important ones, but they either become our most important relationships in healthy ways or unhealthy ways. And so that pattern of seeing that is, is really, really important to break. But the only way we can see it is if we choose, and this is this is where like there's this invisible leap right? It's like, because we, we all want, oh, well, so what's the first step? And the first step is one that's quite mysterious. It's, it's one that we, it's, it's something that calls it, it's that rock bottom scenario. It's like, fuck, I've had enough. I've hit rock bottom. Something's got to change. Bang. Now I can start seeing the world differently. Now I start making decisions differently. And so from that place, we have to, we, we, it's almost this, this invisible leap that we're making, that we don't know we're making sometimes that says, why am I doing this? How am I doing this? What's happening here? What's really underneath all this? Why am I so depressed? Why am I attracting men that fucking are just like my father? Oh, <laughs> shit. So it's, it's, the, it's that kind of conversation, right, that we're having internally. And then taking action is really is not that easy because, it's, because the, the, the ego mind and the, ration, the rationality that we hold says, well, you know, it's not that bad life's not that bad. I mean, you know, we've got this, we've got that. We at least have some of that still. Do we really want to change? Like there's so much unknown on the other side, like changing is, whoa, that's scarier because it's unknown. So we're going to get to a point within ourselves where the fear of not changing is bigger than the fear of change. We have to get to that point.
0: Otherwise we're just on repeat. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent agree. And I've been through that too. Yay. Oh, yay. Was that fun? But the good news, if you're listening, is that when you take that leap of faith and you do the work and you face your own fears and and your shadows, and I I call it the the dusty cobwebs of my soul, that I have to go in with a light and a broom and sweep it all up with love and say, I still love you, even though you're of blah. And and it's those places that we don't want to see. And yet when we do this work we find freedom and we find joy and we find peace. And I think that's really like why, because I, I have clients be like, well, you know, like, why am I doing this? It's like, because you find peace in yourself. And as you were saying, like the anger with COVID, like I remember I actually wasn't angry until, I think it was like two years in, it was September, I think, 2022. That's when I got fucking angry. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck is go- how is this still going on? How? And I got really angry for a few months and I found myself numbing and distracting and all the fun things until, as you're saying, like one day you're like, this is not serving me. It's not good for me. I got to make a change because... The shit's not going to go away. Like They're going to do what they're going to do. People are going to do what they're going to do. Only I can do what I'm going to do. So I'm curious then, have you heard of Andrew Tate, this whole thing going Uh on with... Okay. So just for those who maybe aren't aware, um, and the question behind what I'm going to share is really, what do you think lies behind the emergence or... I don't even know if it's emergence, but more and more of the misogynistic role models on social media. So Andrew Tate, for those who don't know, was the boxer. He was recently arrested in Romania for human trafficking. And it actually came about because of a conversation on Twitter with Greta Thunberg, who so he's one of the most famous figures on TikTok, where videos, his videos have been watched like almost 12 billion times. And So there's clearly some toxic masculinity there. He's being arrested for human trafficking. And I mean, Greta, on the other hand, is a whole nother conversation if you were to ask me. But I'm curious your take on what's what's leading, I guess, to the rise of stars like him and why they are becoming so famous and people are attaching to this clearly toxic masculinity.
1: A couple of things. So firstly... Um, the world is craving honesty and transparency. And he, we'll just focus on him for a moment because you brought him up, appears to be very transparent, outspoken, speaks his truth, etc., which is very refreshing for most people, because especially with COVID, um, especially with the lies that we've been told for many, many years, for thousands of years, essentially, by elitist groups and and people in power and positions of power, and all of that stems down to a fear of our own mortality, a fear of loss, not really, you know, unworthiness, sense of unworthiness, a whole bunch of stuff, right? So there's that, there's that, the world wants truth and we're sort of at a point where fuck it, we'll just take it however it is, right? Now, one of the reasons why he's become so popular with young men and men is because there's so much con- gender confusion in the world that we live in today, and that is a real deep rabbit hole. Um, we'll touch on it though, because it's part—it's part of the—I uh, believe it's part of the issue, or part of the way that he has risen to popularity. And because men are so disorientated, and let me be very clear when I say this, I'm not blaming uh, women's movement or, or the rise of aspects of feminism. In fact, I, I celebrate much of that. I celebrate equity in our society, and we need it. I don't celebrate extremes wherever they go, whichever way they go because I don't think that's helpful, but I also understand that what often happens is the pendulum needs to swing in extremes for it to come back to a center point of homeostasis or balance. So it's, to me, it's all part of the process and I can see that. Sometimes when I'm in it, if I'm affected directly, I don't always handle, handle it with as much grace as I may be explaining now, but I'm, I'm human and I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm getting better. <laughs> um, but he's appealing to many men because many men have been wronged for being men. Uh, They have been wronged for their uh, masculine expression. They've been wronged for their ideas. And so this guy comes along and says, no, fuck that. Men are great. Um, Let me help men. Um, And he's very polarizing and very confusing because he actually says things that are quite intelligent at times. And he's a very intellectual person. I don't know how emotionally adept he is. I, I, I guess... I my guess is my uh, informal, uh, non professional <laughs> diagnosis is that he has some form of pathology, maybe a combination of NPD and something else. I'm not completely sure yet, um, but that's not for me to to say. That, however, um, he's very appealing to to masses of men because he's basically giving them a permission slip to be themselves, which, you know, when we look at the last probably decade or two, men have been uh, oppressed in that way. And I'm not – I'm not, I'm going to be really clear. I'm not playing the victim here or, or screaming on behalf of all men, oh, we're victims and we need no, – no, not at all. We've uh, – as a, as a collective, men have been quite oppressive in various ways. Not all men, of course – but the energetic of that, right? This is where that, that, that essence of unhealthy or extreme masculinity has come in where society has favored um, an extreme or one energetic over another, which has caused it to be extreme and imbalanced in our societies and also in our families and also in our own internal selves, right? So I think that there are two big core reasons why he's been able to rise to fame that alongside he's a really fucking good marketer. I mean, to be honest, yeah. like, I'm just going to speak very candidly here. Most people and, and again I'll just be even more honest. Like part of this a small part of this comes from my own wound and my own projection of, man, why am I seeing all these people that have all this popularity and A, I know them personally and their wisdom isn't really it's not even theirs and they're a little fake and they're wearing a lot of masks, yet they have hundreds of thousands or millions and millions of followers and engagement and all that. And then I'm judging. So I'm just I'm just I'm just being honest. Like I'm saying, yeah, that's part of me that judges. And then it's the other part of me that just looks at it in a more neutral, objective way and says, this is this is the world we live in. These people are really good marketers and that's how they've risen to fame because they're really good at marketing. And that's, good, you know what, fucking good on them for doing that. And the issue with that is that we make this association of, oh, that person's so popular, therefore what they're saying and what they're sharing must be right and must be good. And that's not the case. The, the, the two don't go hand in hand. And so there's a little bit of that going on. He's an exceptional marketer. So I'd say those two, top three things in terms of his rise uh, rise to fame. Oh, and I'd say another one as well, which I touched on, but I'll uh, put it in the same category. He's super polarizing. So when you're super polarizing um, and you're super controversial, that is going to get a lot of attention and you're going to rapidly grow. Oh, and another one. Sorry, I just keep adding to five. I love it. Keep going. Oh, timing. Timing in the marketplace. Yeah. The, the world was ready for someone like him. That's the reality of it.
0: I mean, you're spot on on everything. And thank you for being candid and honest. That's what the conversations I have are really about. Because I... One, I like controversial topics, not in the sense of for the the marketing of it, but more so for the realness. Because I see so many people... like There's people online that I get triggered as fuck by. And I'm Mm. like, I'm aware. I am aware. That's my own trigger, my own shit to Mm. deal with. But like, I get really frustrated when... I see women who, you know, marry a guy, have lots of money. Oh wow, their brand just like blew up. Who knew they, you know, have two nannies and and here, like I've like hustled, worked hard as f Mm. for everything I've done in my life. Like I've literally learned Photoshop from you know watching videos and this and that, like creating my own websites. And so then I'm like, right, of course you're. Brand is like 5 million people now because you didn't have to, you know, watch your... Kid. So I have my own triggers too. So I like the radical transparency <laughs> and and I take full ownership. That's that's my own shit to deal with just as you're mm-hmm. talking about. I actually want to switch it then talking... Because you mentioned, you know, the whole feminism movement, which I am a... I'm kind of a critic of it. Like, yes, I, I am with you equality equity like we need to have the rights and the fact that women's body rights have just been taken like what the fuck but i'm also seeing and i guess i'm going to use that word like very toxic feminism going on and like greta thunberg or i don't even know that's how you say her name but like there's so many women following that. And then they're getting frustrated, you know, that like they can't have the bodies they want, they're not losing weight, they're always stressed out in their careers, they can't find the men. And then I have so many of them come and find me because I am a strong woman. And I, Nikki Sharp, had to learn the difference between being in my masculine, which was fear-driven, and being a strong feminine presence, but also learning when to tap into that, that softer feminine, right? and i i'd love to hear your thoughts on i guess the rise of kind of that that masculine woman which is really based out of fear like the greta screaming at you you know that you're not doing enough and and also just in the culture we live in today where it's like this go 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 hustle hustle women like don't have time to prioritize themselves so what's your thoughts on all of that
1: So, the, the, the extreme aspects of the feminist movement I don't align with because it suppresses men, right? And, and essentially suppresses parts of our society that allow this society to function or can function really effectively. And it also pulls us away from deeper love and connection and intimacy. Um, this, this rise of the, we'll call it the masculine woman. And, you know, masculine feminine energetics reside within all of us, but this rise of the masculine woman, I think, is a product of a number of different things. One of them is that extreme of the feminist movement. Um, The other is that we live in a society that values masculine traits more than feminine traits. And so in order to keep up, stay alive, be significant, which we all want to be significant, um, you know, women have had to make adaptations and it's come at a cost. It's come at a cost for men actually as well because most men don't want masculine women some do uh, very authentically and genuinely and that's great And there's nothing wrong with that but most don't and, and that's based on the premise that i i believe most men carry a, a more dominant masculine energetic that's more quote-unquote natural it's a loaded term but that's why i'm doing that um and most women will carry this this um dominant feminine trait right and when we play to that in more organic ways we we grow together what i will also say is that with respect to the way that we treat each other, right, and the way that we, um, men and women are different, full stop.
0: No, you like don't it, say.
1: <laughs> like it's really like we have different hormonal profiles. Uh, last I checked, I couldn't birth a baby. Um, and and oh and my so, God, again, that's so, a rabbit hole I want to go down. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and some and some females can't. Like I did a post on this the other day, right? And 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 the question was more like a question. The question was. Okay, well, well, it was a statement, and I said, well, "What do you, what do you all think of this statement?" That essentially, um, maybe just let me just read it so I, I get it. I, I say it as, as I, as I said it. Then, give me a second. Sure. Well, I mean,
0: uh, while you're finding that, I'll I'll kind of throw in just some filter yeah. here that I I think it's you're spot on though, is that it's like cause this is I for time's sake, I have like so many more questions I want to ask, but it's like <laughs> there was one just going in into the sense that like my husband is more in is very much in his masculine when he's at work. When he comes home with me, he taps more into that feminine, which polarity makes me go more into my masculine. And so it's like, that's a challenge that we work are working through. And it's, you know, it's like a thing that comes up. So I'm, I'm all with you. And I think there's so many people in relationship. Well, honestly, I love that We keep being like, honestly, yes, fucking honestly, I really do believe that there's such a lack and loss of polarity right now happening that it like we need bigger conversations around that. But did you find the the quote here? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so essentially, what what, what it what it what it just says is, is me being an advocate for differences in biological genders and also identity. So the the statement is biological sex and gender are more fixed and defined, not completely fixed and defined, just more fixed and defined. However, self identity is more fluid and subjective. What are your thoughts on that? And that's that sort of the, that was the post, right? I say that because when I look at many, not all, but many ancient indigenous tribes and wisdom keepers, they celebrated the differences in men and women, and and they no one, no one biological gender was better than the other. No one held greater superiority. They had different tasks. They brought different skill sets to the community, to the village, to whatever. But no one was better than the other. And we seem to have created a fucking world for ourselves out of born from fear that men are better than women or women are better than men and it has to be this way. And you know what? Try fucking surviving without women. And I say the same to him. Try surviving without men. Could you do it? Yeah, you could probably at some point. I mean, it depends. Maybe not. I mean, there, I don't know there, how There'd advanced. be no
0: babies. Either way, there'd be no more babies. Yeah, I mean, and there maybe
1: could be. We, we're, we're probably close in an artificial way, but I mean, the preservation that would have to take place, the new science that would have to be developed. The whole point in me saying that is not to logically find a way to perpetuate the species of humanity, but more so that we fucking need each other and that's okay. Like, it's actually really good. It's really great. Like, But, but we're so scared of- each other and we're so scared of ourselves and we're so scared of what's possible. We're ultimately just fucking really scared of love. We're scared of really deep love. That's really what it is. And we're scared to be loved because we've never been shown. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us grew up in very loveless environments and very dangerous environments, very volatile, violent environments. Not everyone, not everyone, but that carries on societally and, and it impacts us as a, as a, as a people. And so, you know, I, I just, you know, coming back to your question, we're, the more we create separation, the more separation we're going to perpetuate. It, we're Coming together is not going to be easy because it's going to require humility and it's going to require being curious and it's going to require coming into deeper self-love. Yes.
0: And, you know, one thing I would add there too, which kind of goes back to the first question that I asked, which was how do we even identify if there is trauma like one thing that we've learned through therapy my husband and I is he had a, a phenomenal upbringing i had a very not phenomenal one and mm. and that's led me me down the rabbit hole to do the self work you know self healing all of that and through therapy he's kind of started realizing like oh well there was Sort of a lack of emotion and pushing things down, which he didn't realize was like a trauma-based response from his parents. And so that's that's really like mm. trauma happens in all forms. And I think this is just such an important conversation we're having. I'm gonna switch the gears a little bit here. Is that okay, Stefanos? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna ask kind of two questions in one because they're both really tied together as my audience is predominantly female and those listening, and it was a question when I shared that I was interviewing you that women really wanted to know. So kind of part one of it is how can women, especially based on what you just said, how can women, like simple, tangible things step into that feminine aspect more? And then the second part of it is... I want to talk about sex, baby, and some sex tips to increase passion. Whether you know you've just met someone, you're in a long-term relationship, or you've been together a while, because I think they do go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first first part of that is self worth. It's actually not that well. It's <laughs> not to that understand. easy. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> a little, little difficult to do. Um, self worth, so that you can receive. So you can receive openly because when you know and you deem yourself to be worthy, you will allow yourself to receive. And in receivership, you, we as humans are in a beautiful feminine energetic. And when we're able to fully receive, we're able to fully let go and be in presence and be in the moment and be fully connected. And I'll tell you, there's something really special when a man feels, when I, I'll speak for myself, when I feel my woman into full receivership, And I see her opening without inhibition and just being in the present moment, whether it's a sexual or non-sexual interchange, there's something really, really fucking special about that. So work on your self-worth, work on your self-esteem, be active in those areas, learn to receive because you deserve to receive and be in that receiving. That's not taking excessively. That's not being hyper-selfish. That is you in your power. And something really beautiful in that as well, because then you open and when a woman opens, wow, like there's, there's just so, that's just such a special thing because that man then feels that he is trusted and a man that is a man of integrity and honor and a man that wants to ravish his woman uh, will do so in very, in just very beautiful ways, will not take advantage of that. Obviously, there are people that will take advantage of that, and then you've got when you're in heightened self-worth, you won't choose those people constantly. Right. Right? So there's a double, a positive double-edged sword there. You know, self-worth, you're going to also choose better people to be around. And the second part is is what I'm hearing. If I'm if I'm hearing your question correctly, is how do you invigorate um, your sex life, basically, right? How do you how do you charge up your sex life? And so you know you touched on polarity earlier. So is finding those. Those um, harmonious energetics within you and then playing to those, right? And knowing each other. There's so many so many tips here. So knowing each other's wounds and shadows and traumas so that you don't perpetuate them, right? Because if you don't perpetuate them, you leave space for um, sex to be safe and sex to be spontaneous and sex to be connected and powerful and creative. It becomes a creative magic, right? Um, seek variety within your sexual expression that can look so many different ways could be doing a traditional tantra course together it could be working with a, a love and intimacy coach it could be trying new things between you it could be bringing people into your other human beings into your um, uh, sexuality if that's something that you're interested in Right? there's so many ways to dress this up per se but but practice getting to know each other for the for role play, like there's so many different things that you can do to get to know each other in ways that you haven't got to know each other before.
0: Amazing, and when you talk about a woman being open, right? And and your woman and and your wife, and when when she's in that that essence, what are the tips for a woman to? get there, to be open. Because something that I face with clients is they're like, I don't feel confident in my body. I don't look good. I have cellulite. I binge today, whatever it is. And so they're in their head, which then prevents them from having that openness.
1: That's where the self-worth comes in. That's where the self-love, your self-worth and self-love are intimately and intrinsically connected, right? And so when you have a heightened sense of self-worth, you won't allow that monkey mind to take over. And the other part to that is also, you know, having a partner that really sees you and, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier around, you know, knowing each other's traumas and histories and and wounds and shadows and proclivities and values and all those things. When your partner can see that you're a little down, he may support you. He may grab you and say, fuck, you're so beautiful right now. And he doesn't need to know what's going on in your head or whatever it may be, right? And so you, you support each other in those ways. We're human. We're going to have times of internal challenge and turmoil where we're down on ourselves and we're relational beings. And so having people in our lives that can tell us and show us how fucking amazing we are when we don't necessarily, we can't connect to it in that moment is actually really helpful as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, spot on. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to share, want to talk about? Are you feeling, feeling cleansed and fulfilled here? (laughs) I think I'm,
1: I'm, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, we opened up many a conversation um, that could definitely be explored in so many different <laughs> ways, but I feel we touched on a lot and, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think there's a tremendous amount of value here for people that are seeking to do life differently if they, if they really want to. Yeah,
0: 100%. So with that